Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata back with you guys. As always, we are in full off-season mode, but that doesn't mean that you won't be hearing from the co-host for tonight's show, Josh Marlowe. He is going to be on throughout the off-season, and he is with us tonight and uh, is here to talk about some really exciting stuff going on around Tar Heel football. But first, I got to ask you about this, man. Uh, you know, how have you been holding up with uh, everything, uh, you know, with that post uh Toriel Football 2020. I know that uh, this is probably the first time in a while that we have felt uh, this encouraged by what we've seen from Carolina football and this excited to race through the offseason and get to next season. Yeah, man. Ready for 2021 as much as any year as I've ever been following a football season coming off making the Orange Bowl coming off, uh, you know, beating State, beating Duke, winning some big-time games and playing some big-time games. So excited for 2021. Uh, life's been pretty good. Luckily, the Tar Heels have gotten their stuff together on the basketball side of things, winning six out of seven. And, of course, it is the week of the Duke game, so we're all energized for that. But, uh, yeah, life is good. Can't complain. But, like you said, ready to get through the off season. And you think about it. Spring ball ain't that far away, so before we know, we'll be uh, we'll be previewing football games pretty soon. Yeah, we're extremely excited about that. We're going to be uh, kind of previewing some football games a little bit uh, later on in this episode as we're going to do the 2021 schedule breakdown with that being released last Thursday. But first, we jump into the opening drive, which uh, is back. As you guys know, that came back uh, on our last edition of the podcast. And today, we have some news that we got to go over. So we talk about the uh, running back coach situation. Of course, as most of you guys know, uh, running backs coach Robert Gillespie, who was named our uh, Heel Tough blog coach of the year when we handed out those awards earlier this offseason, he 
uh, gets a great job offer from Alabama uh, and, of course, has to take it. He left last week. Uh, that job had been open for roughly about a week, and then the Tar Heels uh, this past Wednesday uh, jumped in, found their uh, – or no, this past Friday, excuse me, jumped in, found their new running backs coach, Larry Porter, coming back to Chapel Hill. Of course, that's a name that a lot of people should know. 2014 through 2016, he was the Tar Heels running backs coach. Has also coached at multiple other schools where he's had plenty of success, including LSU, Oklahoma State, Auburn, which he was recently at, Texas, even with Mack Brown. Uh, so many great places and so many great running backs that have come under his time. He has produced uh, eight. 1,000-yard rushing seasons in his 16 seasons as a running backs coach. He's also one of the country's best recruiters, uh, a guy that since 2005 has landed five uh, or three five-star recruits and 18 four-star recruits, some of those as a member of the Tar Heel staff. Some of the other guys that you may not uh, that may not have been as highly ranked, but that he was able to find that ended up helping the Tar Heels include names like Michael Carter, who was a three-star at the time when he recruited him. We, of course, know how successful his career was. He was also the lead recruiter for Daz Newsom in his time at Carolina. So a lot to really be excited about with Larry Porter coming back. What do you make of the whole running back situation first with you know Robert Gillespie leaving for Alabama and then with Larry Porter being hired as his replacement yeah with Gillespie leaving for Alabama like what are you going to do you're not going to say no to Nick Saban you're not going to say no to that job and frankly he's just he's earned the right to go to that kind of job with the job he's done here at Carolina he just produced one of the greatest running back tandems in the history of the ACC you all remember that Michael Carter and Javante Woods were, were being mentioned in the same net, uh, the same breath as Reggie Bush and Lindale White. That's pretty damn good company, if you ask me. So you understand that decision for him to move on. And I think you look at the decision to bring Larry Porter back, you listed everything as why it, it was a, a good decision for Mac Brown. He has familiarity, or familiarity with Mac Brown, with Carolina, and how to recruit to Carolina. And I think when you factor in all that stuff, especially with a like COVID offseason, that made the most sense because you just don't have the same amount of time and you're not you're not having all the in-person interviews like you normally have because of COVID. So you bring back a guy that's familiar with your program, can coach at a high level, and recruit at a high level, and it made a lot of sense. So I'm um, excited to see what he'll do with that that running back back when we get into uh, spring ball in 2021. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, replacing what Robert Gillespie was able to do is going to be really difficult. I mean, you've yeah. got to think that, you know, this was a guy that took, you know, Michael Carter, who was a three-star, which, you know, was still, I, I think, a little bit underrated even when you went back and watched this highlight tape. But more so with what he did with Javante Williams taking yeah. him and making him into one of the better runners in the entire nation, a guy that fits exactly the mold of what people are looking for in today's running backs, a physical, hard-nosed runner who has good speed, can catch the ball out of the backfield, was a good pass protector, and has made him into a guy that is probably going to get drafted either in the second round or early uh, part of the third round in the NFL draft. That's going to be difficult to replace. But you look at what Larry Porter did in his time here and his first stint with the Tar Heels. You know, this was a guy that took... TJ Logan took Elijah Hood, guys that were four-star prospects, but made them into really, really good running backs. Put both of those guys in the NFL. You look at just his track record of putting guys 
in the NFL, uh, it's as good as just about any running backs coach in the nation. So for Carolina to go out and land him, I think this really shows where this Carolina program is at. I mean, look, he wasn't on a staff with Gus Malzahn, or he was on a staff with Gus Malzahn, wasn't retained by the new head coach there, Brian Harson. So he basically was a free agent. But this guy could have pretty much gone just about anywhere in the country. There were other coaches uh, that were looking to add to their staffs this offseason. Season. And for Mac Brown to be the guy that goes and scoops him up, brings him back to Chapel Hill, I think it really shows where this program is heading at this point. And the reputation that the Tar Heel program has that they can lose a guy like Gillespie and hire a guy like Porter to replace him. Now, one of the big questions that I think a lot of people uh, had about this, you know, how did this affect, uh, you know, this backfield doesn't really affect any of the guys that were on the roster this year. It feels like most of those guys are probably going to stay in place. The big question was, what factor does this play in Ty Chandler's uh, recruitment and and his ability uh, to enroll with the Tar Heels and and, and play a role in this offense? Um, It doesn't seem like it's going to have any effect. Ty Chandler had already enrolled before uh, before Gillespie ended up leaving, uh, and it looks like he is going to stay. He's a guy that I think looks at Carolina's offense and thinks that he's definitely a guy that fits there. Uh, This offense really isn't going to change. Uh, Coach Gillespie was, you know, a guy that was really just there to develop the guys in the system that Coach Longo had in place. That's exactly what Larry Porter is going to be there to do. Do the same thing and probably hit the recruiting trail a little bit harder than what we saw with Gillespie, uh, who was really more of a hands-on, on-the-field coach. Porter, uh, still a guy that can coach well on the field, but really is going to do a lot of his development off the field uh, and is, you know, going to hit the recruiting trail hard, but it looks like Ty Chandler is going to stay in this system, and that's big for Carolina. This was a guy that had almost 4,000 yards of all-purpose uh, you know, yards when he was at Tennessee. He's a guy that's going to be able to contribute for you in the run game, might be able to help you a little bit in the special teams game. So Carolina gets, uh, you know, they're going to keep a veteran guy in that backfield that can help them uh, in a year where they're going to need help. You know, we haven't really, uh, you haven't been on the podcast since Ty Chandler ended up committing. What did you think uh, when you saw his name pop up uh, originally that Carolina was uh, offering him and then uh, when he turned around the next day and ended up committing to Carolina. Yeah, personally, I like this fit a lot for Carolina. I think they need experience in the backfield. He provides that. And you, you mentioned the production, almost 4,000 yards at Tennessee in the SEC. That's pretty good. And considering that Tennessee doesn't have, you know, the, the premier count of, you know, that you would think that program has, he was able to produce in a system that uh, frankly, you know, you you would expect him to do more in what Carolina does in their offense and how they use their running backs. But I think really what you're looking at, or why I'm so excited, is that he's going to provide some experience, some leadership for that young backfield. We're not denying that there's no talent in the backfield. There's just a lot of inexperienced talent. He's going to be able to show them the ropes of just, you know, how to prepare, how to get ready for games, and to go out there and execute the game plan. So, um, personally, I love the fit. And, you know, you're talking about you know, where the program's at. Mac Brown made a comment when the season that they they had the ability to go pick and choose whoever they wanted. So they wanted Ty Chandler. They made him a priority, and that's why he ended up in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I think that's how Carolina kind of is with uh, this, you know, transfer portal season. I think this is 
You know, as I've mentioned multiple times on here, uh, even, you know, in some of the articles that I've written, this is going to become its own part of the offseason. People have to mm-hmm. just get used to that with the one-time transfer rule that is going to be put in place and is probably going to stay around for a while. Uh, this is going to be basically like college football free agency. So not only will you have the offseason recruiting of high school guys, you're going to have this part of the offseason where you're going to have to go through the transfer portal. There are going to be guys that are going to show up throughout the offseason that you will potentially be in play for. And Carolina feels like they're in a pretty good spot. They feel like, especially offensively, they've got a system that a lot of people want to play in. It is proven that it has uh, you know, been extremely productive uh, over the last couple of years. And I think Ty Chandler is a really good example of that. Um, touching on you know, what you said about the seniority in the backfield, I think that's really what they're looking at this move being. Uh, this is a guy that's going to come in, sort of be a placeholder for you. He's got a lot of confidence. Um, he's put together a pretty solid career so far. Uh, he might just be looking to maybe you know take that next step, uh, potentially put his name uh, in the running for next year's NFL draft because this year didn't really feel like he was probably a guy that would get drafted. If he can come out and have a really good year in Phil Longo's system, you never really know. Uh, do I think this guy is capable of running for a thousand yards? Yeah, I think it's there. I think he's got really good back vision. Uh, I think you know he's got some some attributes that are somewhat similar to Michael Carter. I don't think he's as elusive in the open field. But the other thing is, is that he was in a system at Tennessee that didn't really show it off a whole lot. He was also right. in a system at Tennessee where he had a very short leash. They they were always looking for that next guy to come in. It's part of the reason why I think they've really really struggled over the last couple of years because when I mean, you look at some of the senior guys on their team, they've been replaced. Even when he came in as a true freshman, John Kelly, who was a really good running back at the time, Chandler took snaps away from him. Now you can read into that as maybe Chandler was just that good of a player. Or you can read into it as Tennessee really was just trying to, you know, find the next great guy because they were just looking for, you know, better better guys than were on the field at the time. Um, and I think that's been a little bit of an issue for them. That's a totally different topic that you talk about uh, if you're on a Tennessee podcast. But that's where I think Ty Chandler uh, kind of fits in with this system a little bit better. Uh, it doesn't feel like his leash will be as short, especially early on in the season. I think he's going to get a pretty good, uh, you know, majority of the carries. And they're going to let some of those guys behind them develop and really, you know, get themselves ready for next year when they will then have to be, uh, you know, the guys going forward. He can come in, sort of help bridge the gap, and I think that's what will work perfectly for them uh, as they get ready for this 2021 season. So that closes it down for the opening drive. Now we'll turn to the 2021 schedule breakdown for the North Carolina Tar Heels. It was released the other day on Packer and Durham, 9 a.m. in the morning, and this was one of the more interesting ones because, again, Carolina is probably the heavy favorite at this point. I don't know about the betting lines in Vegas. I haven't seen them, um, but I would think Carolina and probably right behind them would be Miami with the fact that they are returning De'Ara King or the favorites to represent the ACC Coastal to go up against the clear favorites in the ACC Atlantic once again this year in the Clemson Tigers. Uh, Carolina, you know, a navigatable schedule, one of one that, you know, when you looked at the opponents, you looked where Carolina had to play certain teams, you thought, okay, if it breaks the right way, they might have a chance. I think, you know, just an, an initial reaction from me, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, 
when I looked at it, I uh, you know I thought that Carolina had some very winnable games there. I thought you know it would potentially line up a little bit better though than it did. I think that the way that it lines up, there are some tricky matchups. There's some tricky spots on the schedule where you have to play a couple of really tough teams back to back. And I also am not a huge fan of where they have to start, but it is what it is. Yeah, I. I personally love the way the schedule breaks for Carolina. I think this is a very manageable schedule for them to take care of business and get to Charlotte and represent the ACC Coastal uh, in the ACC Championship game. And let's let's be uh, clear, that's the expectation. This is year three. You're returning the best quarterback in the ACC. That's not up for debate. Carolina, barring some unforeseen, you know, barring injuries, something like that, should be in the ACC title game. And they've got a schedule, I think, lends them to do that. I think, you know, I'd rather go play Virginia Tech in week one as opposed to week eight. And understanding that, you know, you're still probably going to be dealing with COVID. It's not going to be the same Virginia Tech environment as it was in years past. Then you look at what you got in um, September and in October where you play five out of six at home. Um, and Carolina's been very good under, under Mac Brown at home. Um, the Notre Dame game, which is a road game, but it's no longer an ACC game. So if you lose that game, it doesn't hurt your chances to get to the ACC title game. So, look, tricky. I think, you know, there's going to be the games that they got to take care of that they did take care of last year, like Virginia, like Florida State. But if Carolina seems that we think they're going to be, then I think this is a schedule they can go 10-2, and 9-3, and three, and we're back in Charlotte competing for a championship. Yeah, I, I think that's also part of what has to kind of be discussed, um, which I guess we can do that before we sort of get into breaking down the schedule, uh, maybe week by week or even just section by section. What are the expectations for this Tar Heel team? Is this a team that you're expecting to go 9-3, and three, win the ACC Coastal, but not be competing potentially for uh, an outside college football playoff spot? Is this a season where you see them 10-2, and 11-1? You think that they should be competing for most of the year for a college football playoff spot? Uh, or is this a team that you look at and say, oh, we, we think they're going to take a step back? I, I named the, the, the last one, um, you know, I, I, at last because I don't think that's what anybody thinks. I think, you know, you look at this offense, even though they are going to lose De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsom, uh, Javante Williams, Michael Carter in the backfield, there's still a lot of production here. Uh, wide receiver, there's still a lot of guys that have produced during their time here. Bo Corrales, of course, is coming back. We saw Choffrey Brown, Emery Simmons sort of take steps forward this past year, break out a little bit. I think Choffrey Brown is going to probably be the guy to watch this uh, you know, heading into the offseason and probably early on in the season. And then, of course, Josh Downs in the slot, who we heard so much about last year uh, in the preseason, but really just didn't have room to play this year because you had a veteran guy, one of what ended up being one of your best receivers all time when you look at the stats in Daz Newsom that was in front of him. Um, so I still feel like Carolina, you know, especially with the fact that they are returning all but one defensive starter as well, uh, a lot of people still expect that they're going to compete. They're going to have, you know, another really productive year. But where do you kind of set the expectations in your mind for this upcoming season for Carolina? Yeah, when we got started, I said I'm as excited as I've ever been in an offseason. That means my expectations are pretty high for Carolina. I think this team is going to compete and should compete to win the ACC. Um, I think they should make the ACC championship game because it all starts and ends with Sam Howell, who, as I mentioned, is the best quarterback in this conference, and we're not debating that. That's a fact. 
Um, you're bringing a lot of production on the offensive side of the football, despite you're losing a lot of production. And you mentioned 10 starters back on defense. You're, hopefully you're going to have a more normal offseason to get your young guys accustomed to the college game and get you in your system this place because you're bringing in a really highly talented recruiting class. So I think Carolina is going to enter the year expected to compete at a high level. They're going to be a trendy top 10 pick probably in preseason polls, and they'll be, that, they'll be a team that will be mentioned in the breadth as an outside chance to crash the college football playoff party. Um, and so, I, you know, it, 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 we may be wrong. But I don't think so because you've got a really good quarterback, you've got a really good head coach, and there's just a lot of talent there that you feel like you're building for this year, and I think they're going to go out and, and, and they'll, they'll live up to that hype is what we're hoping for. Yeah, I think 10-2 and two is probably the range where the right, expectations yeah. would be. Um, we've talked about this multiple times just you know, amongst us, and I think we've mentioned it once on this podcast, and we'll probably talk about it more as we get closer to the season. The expectation should, without a doubt, be to get to the ACC championship game. To be honest with you, it should maybe even be a little bit higher than that, even if it's unrealistic, because you feel like at this point, if you don't at least get into the conversation, be there for maybe a couple of weeks, get back, I mean, at the least, get back to the ACC championship game, that you're leaving behind one of the greatest quarterbacks probably in ACC history, not just in your school's history. He's easily the best in your school's history uh, without much to, you know, go home with. He, he doesn't really have, you know, a, a lot to lean on when it comes to what did he actually do at the college level outside of put up stats. So I think that's one of the big things that is important for Carolina. And, and I mean, look, the schedule is is not that bad. Um, I still feel like, you know, the biggest thing about it is, is that this is, you know, the ACC Coastal is the ACC Coastal. We have no clue what the hell anybody else in this in, in this division is. I, I think outside of Duke. I think Duke is absolute garbage, and I don't think they're going to get any better. That's And look, that has nothing to do with... My, you know, the fact that they are who they are. They are the team that's seven miles down the road. It's not. I don't think there's anything great there. I think that you look at all they lost in the offseason. I mean, they lose Chase Bryce. They lose even their backup quarterback who hit the transfer portal, Chris uh, Katarnik, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I hate it, honestly, for David Cutcliffe. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a Toriel guy. I'm also a Giants guy, so David Cutcliffe was the guy that was the head coach that coached up my quarterback that won us a couple of Super Bowl rings and Eli Manning. Um, but other than that, I feel like the rest of this, the, the Coastal, I could see literally any other team finishing second through sixth. I think Carolina is the clear favorite this year, which is something the Coastal hasn't had in a really long time. But after that, there's so much to to, to kind of figure out. And I think, you know, early on, Carolina is going to learn what the rest of the ACC Coastal sort of looks like. Because, as I mentioned, first week of the season, uh, you, you know, welcome it or you go on the road to Virginia Tech. You have to go to Lane Stadium. First of all, it's going to be either Thursday night or Friday night. And the biggest thing about that is, is that that more than likely means that it will be a nationally televised game and you're playing one of the first games of the college football season. So you will be on a huge stage. Everybody's eyes will be on you. Uh, there's a chance, believe it or not, somehow, that that could be a ranked versus ranked matchup. I don't think 
Virginia Tech deserves to be ranked, but I would not be shocked if the college football pollsters rank them to make that a ranked versus ranked matchup. And that's, let's be honest, it's a place of horrors for you. A couple of years ago, you went there, you dominated that game offensively, and you lost in six overtimes. I mean, it's it, it just, nothing ever seems to break the right way for Carolina there. That's a really tough game, I think, out of the gate. But again, I think on paper, Carolina should probably win that game. Uh, then you've got Georgia State. Uh, you know, that should be a pretty easy win. Team that, you know, kind of had a surprisingly decent year this past year. They went 6-4 and four in a COVID-shortened season. But still a team that I think Carolina should have no problem uh, sort of, you know, coming in and beating pretty easily. And then Virginia. I think that's a really important three-game stretch to start for Carolina. I think, you know, you got the one game guaranteed. But outside Outside of that, I think you know you look at that that road matchup with Virginia Tech, and then the game against Virginia, a team that you haven't beaten in four seasons. Carolina's got to be able to come out of that stretch, you know, not too banged up. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I think they should be three and zero after that stretch. But I think that's a really tough start for the Tar Heels out of the gate. You know, you mentioned the game at Virginia Tech. I, I'm more focused on what they do against Virginia because, like you said, you haven't beaten them in four years. And the two times you've lost to Mac Brown or, 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 or under Mac Brown, they've been they haven't been bad losses. They've been really disappointing losses because Deami Brown had two career games in both those games. Yep. And your defense just failed you. So I think that's something that – and that's a game that means more to Virginia than it means to Carolina with the South Oldest rivalry. They put a lot of stock into that. But I think it's something that, look, you know, Matt Brown did a good job about beating the the, uh, the in-state teams, Duke, Virginia, Wake Forest, those guys. we got to be Virginia, too. Um, and, and so I'm with you. I think they should come out of that stretch 3-0. and And I think they will be 3-0 and because I don't think Virginia Tech is as good as, as what they could be or what they should be. Okay, Georgia State, that's a give me at home. And then you get Virginia at home. Um, I, I just feel like at some point, you know, they're going to put it all together and beat the Cavaliers. And I, and I think they just you, – you think about the senior class and even the junior class. They've never beaten them. Sam Howell doesn't go 0-3 in that rivalry matchup as, as a quarterback. So, I think Carolina will, it will come out of that stretch undefeated for now. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, I just – you know, that's I, – I think – you know, Virginia Tech, it's it's going to probably be a close back-and-forth game. I think probably the same thing with Virginia. Uh, that's one of those teams that it's just, Carol, you know, Carolina's got to find a way to be able to get them off of their back. Uh, then they go on the road to Georgia Tech. Um, you know, a game that I think is going to be, you know, this is the second straight time, of course, you're playing them at Georgia Tech since you didn't play them this past year after your co- your season, your schedule got adjusted because of COVID. Um, look, another team that I think is going to take a step forward this year, I really like Jeff Collins as their coach. I think he is tasked with just a, a, a ton. I mean, you're changing this team from a team that ran a triple option, the oldest offense known to man, to trying to run a spread offense with a quarterback in Jeff Sims, who I think is good. Jeff Jeff Sims is thin as a rail. This this guy is like 140 pounds dripping wet. He's tiny. So he's got a lot of talent. Your offensive line hasn't been great. So I still feel like this should be a game Carolina shouldn't have much issue with. You've got a veteran defense. This is a game where you think you might be able to flex a little
additional muscle, probably similar to that first game of the year where you're going to hope that your defense 100% healthy comes out and plays really well. Um, and, you know, maybe you get a pretty significant win here to give you some confidence before you go into probably the most important three-game stretch of your season when it comes to building momentum for that final stretch. You got three straight home games. You play Duke at home. Like I said, that team will not be good. Carolina should not have a problem beating them. But this is Duke. Remember the last time that we played them at home. That team came in. They were an average football team. Carolina probably should have lost that game. So Carolina's got to be careful with that one. Then you've got the revenge game against Florida State. This Florida State team is not going to be much better than the one we saw this past year. They lost a good amount of guys to the NFL, especially on the defensive side up front. Uh, they still have a lot of question marks around that program, guys that have been leaving. Mike Norvell, again, he's another guy, like Jeff Collins, for a different reason. He is tasked with a lot. It's going to take him a while to be able to turn things around there. But then I think there's the biggest game that you have to this point in the season and maybe all season, which is that matchup at home against Miami. It's a team that you've had a ton of success against since they've come into the ACC from the Big East. Even you know since Mac Brown's been back, you are two and zero against them. You beat them in Mac Brown's first home game back there, and then you went down on the road this past year and absolutely destroyed them in their place to win the ACC. Uh, you know, or to basically, I mean, I guess win the ACC Coastal. Basically, win the preseason ACC Coastal battle is pretty much what you did. Um, and you know, get yourself into the Orange Bowl. I feel like again this year that could be another really huge game for Carolina, and uh, I think it ultimately ends up being the one that decides uh, the Coastal Division. Is that kind of how you feel about that one? Yeah, we'll start with Georgia Tech. The only thing I've got to mention about the game with the Yellow Jackets is the day after my birthday. Maybe we take a road trip, go to Atlanta, hit up some bars, and then watch us kick their ass. But you get to those three straight games at home, which I'm with you. I think that stretch of games will define Carolina's season because you get Duke at home, a game that you should win, but like you said, that's a rivalry. You get Florida State at home, a team that you should have beat last year, but it was the first time playing on the road as a top-five team. Weird things happen in Tallahassee at night, and you lose the game because you drop, those, you drop three straight passes. Then you get that Miami game. And, let's, you know, first off with Miami, as you mentioned, that's a very good chance the winner of that game will represent, Cara, or will, will represent the Coastal in the ACC championship game. But also, you know, you look at that game, and then you get a bye when you go to Notre Dame. That two-game stretch for Carolina is important for themselves as a team. But, you know, we're all going to be talking about Sam Howell as a Heisman candidate. Those will be two games that Heisman voters will look at, how he performs, what Carolina does in those games. And that will either give him some legitimacy to being in New York or it'll leave him off the ballot uh, again. But, yeah, those are three really big games for Carolina. You like them all at home. You got to think in the month of October, they only leave Chapel Hill one time. Um, you've got to take advantage of that. You've got to, you know, win those games at home. Hopefully we'll have fans in Keenan Stadium to provide a home field advantage. But I think that's why I just like the way the schedule breaks for Carolina because you get a whole, pretty much a whole month at home, and then you get to go to Notre Dame to end the month. So, but that's a, that's a really key stretch for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that you're probably coming out of that stretch 6-1, and 7-0. and um, So, yeah, same here. Which, at that rate, then you are right in the thick of things for the college football playoff, and you're in the national limelight. Uh, if you go into yeah. that that game against Notre Dame, seven and zero, 
And again, I haven't looked at Notre Dame's schedule. I have no idea what the outlook looks like for them. They do lose Ian Book. They lose a lot of defensive talent as well. There is a legitimate chance that that could be a matchup of undefeated teams or at least two teams that are well inside the top 15, if not inside the top 10 in the country. Um, yeah. You got to go on the road. You know, when you look at this matchup, uh, and again, this is probably the biggest game on their schedule uh, or, or the toughest game on their schedule is what I mean. I said, you know, my I believe Miami's probably the biggest game. I think this is the toughest game. Um, you know, you got to go on the road. This is a place you haven't really fared well. You haven't fared awful there. Um, but, I, I mean, that's really just looking at, you know, the margin of games. Carolina has won one game all time against Notre Dame. Actually, two, but they had the one taken away back in 2008. Um, I mean, look, this is as tough of a test as it gets. Carolina has never won in South Bend. They are 0-12. So... To go there and win this game would be huge. It would be program defining, and you got a feeling that look if you're six and one, uh, definitely if you're seven zero. Even if you're six and one though, this probably cements you as a legitimate college football playoff contender. Uh, probably means that as long as you do what you're supposed to do the rest of the season, you will probably be playing for a college football playoff spot when you face Clemson. And amazingly enough. That doesn't really sound wild to me. I think this will be probably a more evenly matched game than even this past year's game was. Got to remember, Carolina was only down seven uh, heading into Notre Dame's final possession. Notre Dame added a garbage time touchdown or else that probably would have been a seven-point final. Uh, Carolina did everything they could in that game. Their defense played about as well as they played all season. So I think that... You know, this is definitely the toughest game on the schedule, but believe it or not, this game feels more winnable this year than it did this past year. I agree with you. Um, the only reason why you don't feel comfortable about you winning that game is because of where you're playing at. In that building, in that venue, where it's it's hard to go win, whether you got fans in, that, uh, in the stadium or not, is the only reason why. Because Carolina proved this past year that they can play with Notre Dame. So you should, you know, and you feel like with what Carolina's bringing back and what Notre Dame's losing, that that's you're going to be the same thing again, you know, next year. I think there's a very good chance that when we get to that game, that'll be considered the biggest game in the history of the program, probably since that Florida State game back in the 90s. Maybe wrong, but I feel like in terms of a regular season game, that'll be right up there with it if Carolina is 6-1. and one. At, Right now, if I had to tell you, I would say they're going to be 7-0. and oh. So I feel like you're going to, you know, enter that game with probably college game day being there and you know, the playoff stuff right around the corner, highs McCann stuff for, for Sam Howell. Like a lot's going into that game. So, um, it, as you said, Miami's probably the biggest, Notre Dame's the toughest, and I, I agree with that. So then you go after that, you go to the final month of the season. There'll be four games for Carolina in that month. It'll start with Wake Forest again uh, at home. Just you know, I'm I'm so ready for for this to be over. This is not a conference game. They will play a conference team, but it does not count in terms of conference record. So if you win or lose this game, it's only going to hurt you in national respects. That's it. Um, I'm going to have to explain that to plenty of Toriel fans in the Facebook groups like seven or eight times before and after the game. 
including the same, pro probably two or three of the same people that were asked the same question after I've already explained it to them. Uh, but I'm ready for that to be over. That, you know, still a pretty tough test because, look, man, I'm so ready for Dave Clawson to get a bigger job. He is a really good – he's a good head coach, man. I mean, look, it's it's true. He does a great job there. Um, they still have some pretty good talent. They were a relatively young team last year, and they really weren't that bad. I think a lot of people thought they were going to take a pretty decent step back. They were a pretty solid football team this past year. So I still think tricky, but again, at home, Carolina should be favorite in that one. Uh, a Thursday game, because why the hell would we play them any other day of the week whenever we got to go there? Right. We play these idiots every year. We play them on Thursday night on ESPN every time we play there at Pittsburgh. Second straight meeting where we go to Pittsburgh. Um, look, I mean, Pat Narduzzi and his guys have done a great job there. Kenny Pickett's coming back. Believe it or not, he's been there for like 30 years, but he's still somehow coming back. Um, people think that they're going to be really good this year. They lose a lot on their defensive line. And look, I get that they're another team sort of similar to, you know, Virginia Tech, even Miami in recent years, NC State, where they've had some guys on the defensive line, um, you know, year in and year out. They they seem to, you know, rotate guys in and out with relative ease. They lose two of their most productive defensive linemen in years. So it's going to be tough for them. Um, I still think they're going to be a decent team. Carolina is always probably going to get a tough test from them, but I would expect Carolina should be able to sort of roll back into their you know ability to beat this team rather easily. You got to remember, last time they when when they played them in 2019 and lost, that was the first time Carolina had lost to them since they came into the ACC. Uh, Larry Fedora just owned them. It was really that simple. Uh, then you go to Waff or excuse me, then Wofford comes to you for Senior Day on the 20th. Should be no problem. You should dispose of that team. Look, Wofford, really good FCS program. They have had, uh, you know, three really, really solid years. They've won the Southern Conference three years in a row. Good football team. But again, that's an FCS program. You're not a team like the team that we saw, you know, a few years ago that's three and nine, two and nine. No, 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 no. You should have no problem winning that game at home. And then you go to the final game of the regular season, which I think we should kind of talk about separate because I think there might be a lot more on the line with that. But when you look at those first three games of the month of November, I think that Pittsburgh game is probably the one that feels a little bit tricky. But I I really feel like, again, after that Notre Dame game, that's a pretty decent area to sort of settle back into a rhythm before you then gear up for what probably will be an extremely emotional rivalry matchup. Yeah, when you look at the month of November, the thing that stands out to me is you have two quick turnarounds. You play on a Saturday, you play on a Thursday, and then you play on a Saturday, you play on a Friday. Before you get to the state game, though, I like those three games. I like Wake Forest at home. I, you know, going to Pitt on a Thursday, going to be tricky, but you feel like Carolina will be able to, as you as you mentioned, reestablish order and beat the Panthers, and then you get Walford at home. Great FCS program, but if we can't be Walford at home, we've got bigger problems. So for me, you mentioned with State on a Friday after Thanksgiving. I love the fact that the ACC moved that game to the final week of the regular season. I think that should become a staple in Carolina's schedule moving forward. I just look at how the fact that you never have um, you never have a full week between games. You you know you, you play all, you play on Saturday, and then you play on a Thursday, then you play on Saturday and play on a Friday. How does Carolina's depth hold up? Where are you at injury wise? But that NC State game. 
kind of where we think they're going to be. That'll feel like a lot like in 2015 where you're playing to cement your your spot in the Asian Championship game. Maybe you're looking to get some style points to impress the college football playoff committee. And then you got to factor in the rivalry aspect of that. That's, that game is the biggest thing to state. So how does all that play into into that? All I, all I know is the two games under Mac Brown, Carolina's 2-0, and and they've won by about 89-31. to So that's all I got to say. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, look, that's pretty much been become a staple of their schedule. Only reason that game wasn't the final game of the regular season this year was because of COVID. Um, I don't think that that is going to be something that's going to become normal. I feel like they've realized that that is the more prevalent rivalry matchup at the moment. Uh, in future years, look, if Duke is a team that sort of rises above it where NC State is, maybe that game will slide to the back of the schedule at some point. But I think right now they know that the rivalry between Carolina and State has gotten to that point. And, you know, I feel like this is a game that is going to be getting a lot of attention. It's going to be on the Friday, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving. Uh, and it, like you said, it's going to have pretty big implications, it feels like. I, I think, you know, really both sides, you don't, you just don't know what you're going to expect from NC State. This could be an NC State team that could build off of what we saw last year uh, from them. You know, they were a team that took a pretty decent step forward this past year, uh, something that a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. There were a lot of people that thought, uh, look, this state team was probably on the verge of firing Dave Doran. Who knows? By the end of this season, they could be on the verge of firing Dave Doran. They could also be on the verge of potentially challenging to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You have no idea with that team because, well, they're NC State. They're unpredictable, and most of the time they suck. So, uh, look, I, I, you know, I think that it's going to be a really passionate rivalry game. State you know, has lost the last two. I think Carolina is going to come in probably with one, maybe two losses at the max, unless something goes drastically wrong. Uh, so I think State's going to have a lot of motivation on their plate. It's going to be a tough game, but I think Carolina, you know, at home, I think, or excuse me, they go on the road, but I, I still feel like they are going to be favored here, um, you know, by this time in the season. And yeah, I, I mean, you compared it to sort of to, to 15. I think this will be even a little bit different because, I mean, let's be real honest with ourselves. In 15, there wasn't really that much belief that this team was actually a true college football playoff contender. I think, you know, maybe in our minds, we tried to build it up like, oh, you know, if enough things broke right, you know, this is a good enough offense. I really don't think when you look back at that team, that team was a legitimate college football playoff contender. I think they showed you that in the ACC championship game. They didn't play bad, but you saw at the time a, a Clemson team that was still developing was just able to really put up anything that they wanted on that Tar Heel defense. Um, this team, I think, will feel a little bit different. But I think, you know, the main thing that we're going to be talking about a lot during this offseason is, look, this team brings back a lot defensively, but are they able to take another step forward defensively? There are a lot of guys that have been here a while that, you know, we, we like to have back. We think they're good players. But now the thing for them is is they've got to continue to grow. It's great to have them back, but they can't just keep being the same players that they've been for the last year or two. They've got to take 
steps forward as well and try to help this defense improve into one of the better defenses in the ACC. I feel like looking at this schedule, if Carolina can get a defense that can finish in the top five, maybe even six in the ACC, you feel really good about this team's chances to finish 10-2, and two, maybe even 11-1. and one. I mean, is that kind of where you're at as well? Yeah, no. I mean, I I think I think that's the expectation. I, I think you're expecting these defensive players to grow and take the next step. I think you're going to see Jay Bateman be more aggressive and, and be more able to and be more willing. I think to utilize the depth that is going to be on the roster because mm-hmm. you're you're expecting to have a more normal offseason to get your younger guys acclimated to the way you want to play. You look back at the way they finished the season, even though they lost the Orange Bowl to Texas A&M, that defense played about as well as they could have played given the fact that Carolina's offense didn't have the production that was supposed to have, and that defense was on the field for a very long time, and they held their own. So I think that's I think that's what you're expecting. I think you're expecting Jeremiah Gimble to step up and, and, and become a bigger player. You know what you got in Tony Grimes and Storm Duck. I think it starts up front. Getting some more out of Raymond Velocity, but you need Desmond Evans to be a little bit to be more special coming off the edge. You need the Fox brothers to be better, and the, uh, with with Simone coming back for another year. And so I think that's that's going to really old, that's going to really determine what Carolina does. They can go out and score forty against any team, probably in the ACC. Just, but if they can't stop teams from scoring forty, then they're going to be where they were last year. That's that's not okay. They need to be able to win nine to ten games. Do that. You got to be better defensively, and I think they will be. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, and uh, I think that's probably the area they're going to be. I think looking at this schedule, a lot of people were saying that they were coming in with you know an expectation of probably eleven and one, uh, ten and two, and I think that's uh, that's that's justified by the schedule. I think there's you know some tough games here. There's some ones that could be a little bit tricky, but. This is Mac Brown. This is a guy that's been there, done that before. He did it at Texas. He can handle expectations. I think the guys really got a taste of it last year. I think that game against Florida State was one that definitely sort of woke them up and showed them that, look, this is what you've got to expect. And guess what? It's not always going to be the teams with a number next to their name that are going to step up and play well against you. You've got to bring it every single week because – you're going to get everybody's best. That's what they've got to be prepared for this year. You know, these other these teams that seem like they might be easy games, Virginia at home, Duke at home, Florida State at home, Wake Forest at home, Pittsburgh on the road, they're all going to give you their best shot. It doesn't matter if they're struggling coming into that point of the season. That is one of those games where now when they see your name on the schedule, they're going to know this is a legitimate team. Mac Brown is here and is trying to turn them back into a power. How big would that be for us to get this win on our schedule? Can Carolina handle that? I think is going to be the big, one of the bigger things uh, for this team going into next year, and we'll see. I think they've got some really good senior leadership on this roster. Like you said, I think defensively you're going to see a lot more rotation because, well, frankly, you're just going to have a ton more options this year. And you've got a more normal offseason. You're hoping that you're going to be able to make it through at least the bulk of spring practice without 
you know, it being delayed or canceled. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. If you do get that, you're going to be able to work in some guys that probably fit your system a little bit better uh, than some of the guys that are there currently even. So you'll be able to rotate those guys in along with some veteran guys that have put up some productive numbers so far. And I think that could be a really good recipe for success for Carolina in 2021. So that's the 2021 schedule breakdown. Of course, we'll come back uh, right before the season starts. Um, and of course, I don't think as of right now, as we sit here, there will be changes to this schedule this year. I feel like this is probably going to be what their schedule is going to be. I feel like by this point next year, right now, just you know, thinking you know, with, with where we're at with COVID, um, with the fact that we are probably going to have more vaccines by the time uh, that football season starts Carolina will be able to travel uh you know relatively far away I don't I mean the furthest away they go is to Notre Dame so I don't think that's really going to be a problem teams traveled there from the ACC this past year outside of that I mean look Georgia State travels from Atlanta that's not really a far travel same thing with Wofford coming from uh where is that in South Carolina I'm Spartanburg right yeah that's right. So now, I mean, this looks like this is going to be the schedule. So we'll be able to break this down a little bit more as we go through the offseason. Not like last year where we got the schedule, we looked at it, we kind of laughed a little bit and said in March and said, yeah, there's no chance that's actually happening. So um, we'll, we'll, of course, talk about it a little bit more. I think we're going to do uh, later on in the offseason, we'll do uh, our you know segment where we rank the uh, easiest to toughest games on the schedule. So that'll be really fun when we circle back around to that Um, but for now we'll move on wrap up the podcast with the 40 yard dash and so we look at some of the other storylines around Tar Heel football. Uh, three Tar Heel walk-ons received scholarships earlier last week. British Brooks, Kieran Johnson, Jonathan Kim all received scholarship offers uh, for the spring and summer last Monday during a team meeting. Of course, British Brooks, a guy that was, uh, you know, most people will probably remember him for starting the game, uh, the Orange Bowl game at running back. Uh, but look, this was a guy that was a big part of Carolina on his special teams for most of the year was actually the special teams captain, uh, was a big part of the kick coverage unit uh, for each of the last two years. So great for British to get a scholarship offer. Kieran Johnson, we talked about him a lot towards the middle part of the season on this show. Uh, really had a pretty big impact out of the gate as well. Uh, you know, t- came in, took over uh, at offensive guard for a struggling Ed Montillas in the first game of the season, played a little bit of depth tackle for a while as well, and then, of course, started the game against Wake Forest when Brian Anderson couldn't go at center. So a really versatile guy who has gotten it done in the classroom as well. He gets the scholarship. And then, of course, Jonathan Kim, another guy that probably isn't recognized as much as some of the other guys on the team, but was one of the best kickoff men in college football this past year. Uh, I think it was just above 70% of his kickoffs went for touchbacks, and he had the most kickoff yardage in all of college football this past season. Carolina also brought in their first preferred walk-on of the 2021 class this past week, Tegan Linderink. Uh, He's a kicker, comes in, extremely talented guy, almost set the state record for made field goals in the state of Tennessee as a senior this past year. He had 20 made field goals. The record is 21, which interestingly enough, 
was uh, a record held by his current kicking coach uh, in the state of Tennessee. So that's really interesting there. Of course, he's a guy that went to Brentwood Academy. If that sounds familiar, it should. That's where Eli Sutton, the Tar Heels four-star offensive tackle signee, uh, played his high school career. Uh, the Tar Heels in the top three for, Deon- for Dante Balfour, uh, who is set to commit this Wednesday. We will have something up on the website tomorrow about his commitment. It'll be a commitment preview. Uh, kind of walk you through what to expect as we head into his commitment. Uh, This is something that Carolina, you know, uh, it wasn't expected for a while. Then along with uh, LSU, who is also in his top three, jumped in pretty late in his recruitment back uh, in mid-December. That sort of changed everything for Belfort. He was a guy that originally was going to uh, sign on December 16th, decided not to, pushed his decision back, and now Carolina is trying to fight along with LSU to come from behind against a team in Auburn who has been a leader for him for a while. We'll have everything you need to know heading into that on the website. And then uh, the last thing we'll talk about, Michael Carter and Chad Surratt, both of them participated in the Senior Bowl. Chad Surratt, not the most successful week for him him. Unfortunately, he tweaked uh, something in his leg on the second day of practice. He did not participate in the final day of practice and did not play in the game on Saturday, but still showed some good things as a pass rusher. Pretty much what we expected uh, from him. Still some things he's got to do to get better in pass coverage as he goes to the next level, but definitely a guy that I still think holds pretty steady with his draft stock. Should be a second round, maybe the latest he goes an early third round pick. Michael Carter, a little bit different. This guy was one of the big standouts down at Mo- down in Mobile this past week. Uh, had a really, really great week of practice. Was named running back MVP for the national team that was coached by Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins staff. Goes into the game on Saturday and was one of the top performers. He led all of the running backs in rushing yards and receiving yards. Finished the day with 10 total touches for 75 yards. Had a great touchdown where he just pushed the pile, uh, something that he's not really known for. And had a couple of, uh, of nice runs as well. Uh, you know, Dar- Daniel Jeremiah really likes what he saw from him down there since he's a very elusive back, guy that really fits what teams want at the next level. So Michael Carter could be rising up some of those draft boards. We're going to have some great draft experts that are going to be coming on with us here in the next couple of weeks to talk about those guys' draft stock. You won't want to miss that. We'll have all those great interviews right here uh, on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Make sure that you guys rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of those episodes. Rating and reviewing sort of moves us up some of those rankings so that people that haven't found the podcast can find it, be there for those editions. And those editions will be right in your podcast library when you subscribe to the podcast. So make sure that you guys do that wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever it is, make sure that you are subscribed to the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Last thing we'll do, of course, head over to the website, guys, HeelToughBlog.com. So much great stuff going on uh, right now. Football-wise, again, we're in the offseason, so we're going through weekly storylines every week. You guys can make sure to check those out every week. It gives you a little bit of of an update on some of the storylines that may not catch your attention as much as the ones that we write articles about. Um, But, you know, we'll also have you covered on uh, any uh, breaking offseason news. And then, of course, as we get closer to the NFL draft, we'll have you covered on that. And the big news of course that'll be what we'll be following for the rest of this week and as we head down the stretch over the next couple of days 
is uh, National Signing Day. Dante Balfour will be the one guy that Carolina is targeting that is going to commit. We'll, of course, follow that uh, all throughout for you. Wrap up the 2021 class and then officially turn our attention to the 2022 class for you guys on the Heeltop blog website. That's what's going on on the football side of things, basketball side of things. Carolina, as Josh mentioned, is really rounding into form. They have uh, you know, put themselves back in the hunt for a potential ACC regular season title. And guess what? The ACC is an absolute mess, but they're trying to find a way to navigate through it. Uh, Carolina's become one of the more steady forces, and it's a really interesting time to be following Carolina basketball. So make sure that you're following three, that's right, three writers that are going to be taking you through all of that. Josh will do it himself, as well as Mark Rings and our latest writer that we signed on, Sarah Wiley, who does a great job. She has our, her stuff on our website now. So keep an eye out for all of their articles as we go throughout the season. There's some really great stuff on there right now. Of course, previews and recaps as always. But also, uh, Josh has a couple articles up there uh, about Anthony Harris, one about Caleb Love that you guys will be really interested to read, and even one about Armando Baycott, who is quietly developing into one of the better all-around players in the ACC. So make sure you guys check that out. And of course, the schedule was just released for baseball. We're going to have an article up about that as well before we get ready for baseball season here in the spring. One that we hope Carolina will be able to get through after their season last year was cut short due to COVID-19. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.